Hey, how's it going? I'm your host, Gerhard Zhu, and you're listening to Ship It, a podcast about getting your best ideas into the world and seeing what happens. We talk about code, ops, infrastructure, and the people that make it happen. Yes, we focus on the people because everything else is an implementation detail. Today, I'm joined by Ben Ford, former Royal Marine Commando, which is the UK version of Navy SEALs. We dig into operational excellence. I didn't know what that was until Ben explained it. And now all I can think of is that I want to be operationally excellent. We also uncovered the real OODA loop. The one that you know is probably wrong. And did you know that shipping code is just a tiny part of it? That was one of my highlights and aha moments. If you're shipping and coding like crazy, but it doesn't seem to make a difference, or struggling to keep up with the complexity, this episode will definitely be worth your time. You must check out Ben's diagrams in the show notes. They're a work of art and precision. Big thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly and Linode. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. Feature flags powered by launchdarkly.com and we love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com forward slash changelog. This episode of Ship It is brought to you by Render, the zero DevOps cloud that empowers you to ship faster than your competitors. Here's Anurag Goel, CEO of Render, sharing why developers choose Render over Heroku and how they're innovating much faster. A lot of Render customers come to us from Heroku and they tell us Render is what Heroku could have been. I think it's because we offer a more streamlined approach to hosting modern cloud applications at a significantly better price point. Applications on Render heal themselves and scale automatically, giving developers the features and flexibility of something like Kubernetes, but without any of the complexity. We're always working to bring the latest industry advances to our platform. So your applications can leverage the state of the art in the cloud without you having to do or learn anything. All right, learn more about how Render compares to Heroku at render.com slash compare or email changelog at render.com for a personal intro and to ask questions about the Render platform. Again, that's render.com slash compare or email changelog at render.com. I think I'll start with a story. And the story that I want to start with, it's the complexity that is starting to creep in, not just in the development world, but also the operations world. Everything is moving at a breakneck pace. We have Kubernetes, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, which in itself is super complicated, mm-hmm. and hundreds and hundreds of other projects which keep shipping maybe every week. So how do you deal with that complexity? How do you just never mind about implementing it and shipping it in your infrastructure, but just paying attention to what's going on? It's it's impossible. So one thing that I try to do is um, focus on the important stuff and... Um, ignore the rest but what is the important stuff how do you know not to mention that you can't always just pay attention to what is happening right you still need to get on with your job you still have requirements we know that some of them are silly and they don't really make sense and there's a lot of energy that that will take so in my search for certain models or approaches 
that would help deal with the complexity and the ever-increasing speed was Agile. This was maybe 10 years ago, and that worked well for a while. But how do you apply Agile to the world of ops and the world of Kubernetes when everything is changing almost every day? Uh, no, actually, it's definitely every day. So in that search, I came across uh, Ben, uh, Ben Ford, and Commando Development. And he had this really interesting concept of OODA loop. Observe, orient, decide, and act. And I had a very simplistic view of the OODA loop. And Ben opened my eyes. And I was like, whoa, there's so much to it. And are you telling me that I got it wrong? Yes, I did. Not only that, but there's so much to it that maybe can help us with the complexity, maybe can help us focus, uh, stay focused on what is important. So I have Ben joining me today to talk a little bit about that. That was my story, Ben. What about yours? How is your story with the complexity and development and practices? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, uh, great to be here. I, I love talking about this stuff, so I'll, I'll quite happily dig in. So I, um, I had a bit of a non-traditional route into technology. I learned to code aboard an amphibious assault ship when I was serving in the Royal Marines uh, way back in 2003. I was on the way to Iraq. I was bored on a ship and you know, was wondering what was going to be next after my armed forces career. So I picked up a couple of books, uh, one on Python, one on Linux, and yeah, taught myself to code, you know, very rudimentary. Uh, you know, fast forward five, six years, and I was working as a software developer, you know, back in the day when you used to order a real server from people and have it installed into a data center. And you know, the pace of getting a company up and running then was what, you know, six months, probably a couple of hundred grand in upfront cost, markedly different from where we are now. And I was, you know, pretty happy being a developer. I thought. My time in the Marines was a fun diversion that I had that maybe makes my CV stand out a little bit, but you know, not really relevant for my day-to-day, my day-to-day life. And then that continued for a while, and and then I started to run into this complexity as well. So, you know, I had to go from being a happy functional programmer working in finance to learning about DevOps and learning about you know continuous deployment and all of these other things. And then, and then that sort of also starts to come a little bit unstuck because. You know, then you've got decision making and strategy and all of these things that you can have a really good CICD pipeline and a really fast feedback loop on the technical front. But if the business doesn't have a way of holding the complexity within, within which it's operating, well, then you're also, you know, you're kind of in trouble because, you know, decisions are wrong or, or you know, not being taken. So I guess at that point, maybe five years ago, I started to come across some, some authors who, were applying concepts from the military to business. And that opened my eyes. I'd already started to see some links, you know, with rudimentary, started to pick out some rudimentary links between Agile and, and the way we used to do things in the military. And then these guys started writing about it from, from their experience. And, you know, I only served for five years. I'd, I'd had an early career in the military, but never done any, any of the kind of more command-based things. But these guys were writing about the, the principles of, of combat. And I thought, yeah, yeah, there really is something to this. So I basically started pulling on that thread and I haven't stopped since. And the OODA loop is, is the concept that, that holds all of this together. Um, it's the concept that explains pretty much everything else. When, when, you, when, you know, when you dive into it deep enough and you get beyond the superficial explanation, you know, even Agile has its roots in, in the OODA loop. You know, Steve Blank, who wrote about lean startups and, you know, all of that stuff 15 years ago, 
that all comes from the teaching of John Boyd. So, you know, Uda really is at the heart of everything at the same time. It's, it's well known, but it's, it's well known as in it's widely known, but it's not well known as in it's well understood. So, you know, here I am to, uh, to explain what, what, uh, what I found over the last few years of exploration. I found it fascinating from the perspective of your course, uh, the uh, algorithms for leadership, uh, which I, I didn't know at the time that I will have you on the show. I wasn't even sure about w- when the show will start or what it will be about. And as I started discovering more about that course and more about uh, some of the concepts that, that you present, by the way, some of them are extremely compressed. This is your word. So it took me a couple of um, replays just to understand what is being discussed. And there's so much to it. So people, when they think of Uda, they imagine those four words arranged in a circle. And there's like an arrow that goes from left to right. Mm -hmm. And most people, that's where they stop, right? That's it. I'd like us to dig a bit more into that. But before that, I'm wondering if someone is listening to this, and they're wondering, hmm, shall I spend the next hour listening? Why would they care? Why would someone care about this? It is the complexity. I think that's the obvious one. But is mm-hmm. there something else to it? I think there is. I think it's interesting to get that high fidelity that tends to be lost over time. And I think you're doing a very good job of capturing it, not only in speaking form and written form, but also a presentational form. That's what really attracted me. You present these concepts really well. They're incredibly compressed because they may sound simple, but there's so much behind them. And I like how everything unpacks. So why do you care about this stuff as much as you do? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. So my, my journey in technology took me into functional programming, right? So I went you know, pretty deep down the, the rabbit hole of pure functional programming and uh, you know, became a Haskell programmer and you know, built, built systems with Haskell, which requires a mindset shift. Right, you choose a different set of very fundamental abstractions when you program in, in a functional language. And so I wanted to find a similar small set of abstractions that compose well, that are cohesive, and that all kind of pull in the same direction. And for me, the OODA loop is because it's so fundamental, you know, like with, with functional programming, right? You've got very, very fundamental, well-defined small building blocks. And because they are that shape, you can use them absolutely everywhere. So the way I think of stream programming now is the same way as I think of adding numbers, because that's the same underlying abstraction from the programming subculture that I come from. And the way I think about handling complexity at both the strategic and the, and the tactical kind of immediate feedback loop levels, I now have the same mental models to think about both of those and to teach. So it's one mental model that you can apply to multiple things. And that's where, that's why it's so compressed, right? It's, it's so compressed because you unpack it and it unpacks in a different way in one context and a different way in another context, but it's the same thing underneath. I think that's super powerful. If you think about Linux and Unix and how it's the test of time, those really simple tools that compose in infinite ways. And I think most people think there's just one OODA. But what blows their minds is there's OODA loops inside OODA loops. Yeah. Turtles all the way down. Think about that, but replace turtles with OODAs. I think it's amazing how well they compose and how well they apply to not just development, but also operations. Yeah. And most importantly, which was my entry point, business. Yeah. That was like a whole new, like, hang on, 
do you mean the same problems that apply to ops and dev apply to business as well? And the answer is yes. And you go a little bit into that because there's so much like team of teams. Yeah. I think that was like a super powerful concept, red team thinking and a couple of others. Yeah. But I think I'm already jumping a bit ahead of myself because the one word that kind of unifies them all from my perspective is the operational excellency mm-hmm. or operationally excellent. Which one would you pick? So I would call it operational excellence. In fact, I was I was toying with that very phrase for quite some time to explain what all this stuff is, right? So, you know, the OODA loop is observation orientation, which is information coming in, and then it's decision and action, which is the kind of execution side of things. And those things together, having having a good OODA loop and having an understanding of how these OODA loops compose actually is operational excellence, right? You're you're operationally fit for your environment and you evolve with your environment because you continually learn from it and adapt to it. And that, I mean, that's the definition of agility. So, you know, operational excellence, agility with a small A and no consultants in sight, you know, take your pick, but, but, you know, it's the same concept. I really like that. I really like that because it's a simple concept that composes in specific ways and the excellency is in how you compose that. And by the way, there's no consultant that can tell you how to do that. Yes. It's a discovery process. It, yeah. It always depends. It always changes. Guess what? Whatever works this year will not work next year. And unless that's in your DNA as a company, as a team, good luck to you. Yeah. And, that, and that's where so many businesses come unstuck. I don't know where I heard this phrase, but I will always say that it's not mine, but uh, I do really like it. So I say it a lot. A digital transformation is what you need when you've fallen asleep at the wheel of evolution. You've forgotten how to build these structures and communication systems and you know algorithms for leadership, as I call them. You've forgotten how they work and they've fallen apart and you've got poor command and control of your company or you know whatever dysfunction you have, which means that you're no longer adapting to your environment, which means that you drift further and further away from being operationally excellent, which means that you drift closer and closer to you know, company and organizational death eventually. When I joined your course, um, typically they happen in the evening for me, being based in the UK. So uh, I think seven o'clock plus, mm-hmm. like after seven o'clock, seven to eight, eight thirty. And after a long day, you can imagine that, you know, maybe sometimes I'm not paying as much attention as I would want to. That's why recordings, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. So when you mentioned that phrase, I really loved it. That woke me up. I thought, so hang on, do you mean that you don't want digital transformation? because it's maybe too late and you're just trying to rescue something. What about learning about adaptation Mm. rather than transformation? So I I took a note and I thought when my mind will be rested, I will unpack this. I'm I'm still, I'm still going to go back to that. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much there. Yeah. I mean, so just, just to, to dig into that a bit more. So the other, the other problem that digital transformation has is that it's, it's implemented top down. So the leaders wake up one day and they go, oh no, we've, you know, lost the ability to keep up with the tech upstarts. You know, banks are a classic example. You know, oh no, Monzo's a thing and Starling's a thing. And we're a big bank and you know, our technology is terrible and it costs us orders of magnitude more to develop technology. So the leaders turn around and then they, you know, they get the the shiny suited consultants turn up who who claim to be able to fix their problem with, you know, a simple tool toolkit. And what happens is they say, right, great, we'll have some of this tra- digital transformation, please. So they, they try and implement it top down. 
Oh, sorry, they, they introduce it top down. But the problem is that anything like this has to be implemented bottom up. It has to be implemented at the point at which your, your people are in contact with the environment, right? They, they are the ones that are shipping code, the ones that are talking to customers. So the, the problem with bigger organizations isn't really the digital transformation at all. It's the fact that there is no link between top down and bottom up. They're two different worlds. They can't talk to each other. And you know, no amount of millions of pounds spent on consultants is going to be able to fix that. And that's the kind of inconvenient truth that the, the agile industry as a whole, you know, with, with a few exceptions, but the vast majority of like simplistic frameworks and, and, and nonsense that's sold to senior leaders who don't really have a clue, that's why the money gets wasted because that fundamental disconnect of pushing something down from the top versus having something emerge from the bottom. Okay. So let's imagine that a big company approached you saying, hey, Ben, we are in the pickle. We need your help. Do you really know your stuff? Help us. What would you do? Oh, that's a great question. That is a really, really good question. And uh, you know, there's several, several problems with that. Uh, one is that somebody who comes into a, to an organization, assuming that they know the context of the organization, is going to be bitterly disappointed. So the first thing is that I would have to tell them, look, I can't fix your problems for you. I can give you some mental models. I can give you some some abstractions and some understanding about the real mechanisms of what's going on. But if you've been having people in shiny suits turning up to your office saying that they can fix your problem for years, that's not me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim I can do that. What I can do is offer different fundamentals, different abstractions, and I can offer some external perspective because anybody, anybody who's trying to change a system from within a system is necessarily you know, looking in and down, right? They are, they are part of the system. They, are, they care about the progression of that organization. Whereas if you get somebody who comes in as an external perspective, they can bring some detachment from that and they can say, well, you know, you're treating this like X, Y, and Z, but actually have you considered that maybe it's A, B, and C? So I think that's what I would, I would say is, you know, I would, I would hopefully make them understand that their mental models about what is possible in the world of technology are perhaps a little bit out of date. And you need to give your organization some space because there will be people in every organization, every big organization that's failing at IT, you will have passionate people in your organization who actually are very current and very aware of best practice and are very aware of new tools and new opportunities, but they're just drowning in this overwhelm of, you know, kind of top-down pressure. So I think I would, I would be almost like a catalyst to, to help free those people up and to help build the links of communication between top and bottom by having a common set of mental tools. So the way I hear it is you're almost saying that you would be focusing on the operational excellence, which is the combination. First of all, you need to know the principles and then how do you combine them and how do you make them relevant to your org? And I can't really tell you how to do that. It's something that needs to be emergent. Yeah. We need to discover that. And more than me, you need to discover that. You need to figure out what works for you. And all I can do is advise you when the things are combining in ways that make sense versus when they don't make sense. And I think what we're touching up on here is a little bit on the entropy as well that you're trying to deal with in a system. It's too chaotic. It's just yeah. nothing makes sense. Things are just breaking down left, right, and center. And we're talking about the interactions, the communications. Don't think technology 
because technology is a people problem, an interaction problem. Um, you can make your functions run in milliseconds. What good does it do if they can't be sold yeah. or people don't find out about them? You know, it's like an irrelevant thing. And I think that's a really powerful thing in that you're focusing on the interactions principles, of course, and the interactions between those principles and the applicability, I guess, to the specific context which needs to be discovered. And by the way, it changes all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, a, an analogy I use all the time is martial arts. So, you know, I, I, a bit lapsed at the moment because of injuries and pandemic and, and stuff, but I used to train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and there was no way that somebody could just give me a book on Brazilian jiu-jitsu and say, right, go sit in your garage for six months. And I'll see you in six months and you'll be a black belt, right? You have to actually train in the situation that you're learning the skills. Even just watching an expert do it is not doing it. So you have to do the thing in order to learn the thing. And you learn by doing and you, you, know, you do by learning. And learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu and rolling with a, with a higher belt or a lower belt is an oodaloo. It's exactly the same mental abstraction of observation, orientation, decision, and action. Actually, there's a different pathway through UDA, which we talked about in the course, which is actually far more relevant to, um, to immediate kind of combat-oriented things like martial arts. But um, for the purposes of this, it's, it's an UDA loop. This episode is brought to you by Linode. Gone are the days when Amazon Web Services was the only cloud provider in town. Linode stands tall to offer cloud computing developers trust, easily deploy cloud compute, storage, and networking in seconds with a full-featured API, CLI, and cloud manager with a user-friendly interface. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, scale, and support you need to launch and scale in the cloud. Get started with $100 in free credit at linode.com slash changelog. Again, linode.com slash changelog. Now, there's two things which I'd like us to get to. The first thing is the real OODA loop diagram, the one that you haven't seen and then Ben's Ula loop diagram, which I think is the best one you'll ever see and you have definitely not seen. So even if you've seen Join Boy's original, this is better, up to date, and I got so much value out of it. And the second thing, I would like us to walk a bit down the stack. So we go from business, we go um, strategy, operations, tactics. I would like us to spend a bit more time in the tactical area which is where you have a lot of experience, right? Combat experience, real combat experience. I'd like us to spend a bit more time there. And we'll be taking a closer look at the OODA loop now, the components, how does it apply to the high level, to the business, and how do we traverse the stack all the way from strategic? Is this strategic, operational, and tactical? That's right, yeah. Okay, so the business, I'm thinking about the business, maybe the management, products, what is in the middle? I have the middle layer as, as kind of like the, um, the organizational level. So the strategic, and you can look at these as timeframes as well. So the strategic timeframe is whatever, whatever the business level decision-making cycle is. The operational le level is how you decide to integrate what the business wants with what the people that do the work can provide. So sequencing and making bets and biting off projects. And then the tactical side is the you know, days to weeks of building, shipping, 
getting feedback, building shipping, getting feedback. That's how, that's how I would split it up. That makes perfect sense. And the ops people, the dev people, the DevOps people, mostly individual contributors, they tend to be at the lower tactical side, the people doing the actual work. Yeah. And then you have like the more strategic ones uh, at the top, which is like um, your senior, whatever your, is it staff? No, it's not staff. What is at the top, top level? The C-suite, that's just, yeah. that's just too high up. That's the tip. So yeah, I guess like your VPs and directors, I guess, mm-hmm. are at the the middle tier. I mean, it depends how big the company is, I guess. Yeah. Like if, it, if right. it's a startup, then it's like the, you know, the lead, the lead developer is, is that person in the middle uh, and maybe the head mm-hmm. of marketing or something like that. But that, that middle layer is the integration of, you know, grand strategy, which has to be, you know, necessarily a little bit vague because it's, you can't, you can't really project out six months about specific concrete things that you're going to do. So it's turning those strategic goals into concrete specific things that we want to achieve and sequencing the work to achieve them. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the operational level for me. Okay. And how do the components in the OODA loop map to the high level? And how do they map like OODA loops within OODA loops as you go down through the levels all the way to the tactical, the day-to-day? So we've got the traditional OODA loop, you know, the, the full John Boyd diagram. So there's one, one myth in the OODA loop is that Boyd never drew that simple circle with OO and, and D and A on it. He never drew that. He drew the version, which is, I guess, the next, the next level down that you come to, which is observation feeding forward into orientation, which feeds forward into decision, which feeds forward into action. And then a whole bunch of feedback lines that go from action and decision back into observation. Um, along with outside information, unfolding circumstances and unfolding interaction. And then there's these these two other funky little lines called implicit guidance and control, which are how your orientation shapes your observation and how you can sometimes bypass decisions with direct actions when you're in a domain of familiarity. So how does this map to the different levels that we just talked about? So if you think think of a company as an entity, almost like an organism, I'm just going to call it an organism because actually organization and organism back in the 15th century were the same word. So let's, let's consider this as kind of like a biological entity that's separate from its environment. So it needs to take energy and, you know, in the, in the case of an economy, that's money. And it needs to turn that into an internal structure that will keep it self-sustaining. And it does that by deciding how to use the resources that it has in such a way as to turn that money into more money by paying people to do work and selling the results of that work. So the the strategic OODA loop of a business is observing the macroeconomic conditions, how the environment's changing, you know, how the tech ecosystem's moving, how customers are changing, all of those things, all of those form the observation and how, you know, how the results of your products and services are landing with, with the market. The orientation is then how does that change what the business understands about its place within the ecosystem and what it wants to do. Decisions are the kind of big strategic decisions that you get from companies. You know, we're going to try and enter this market or we're going to exit this market or, you know, we want to try a different way of doing this or a different way of doing that. And then action, well, action is not something that's directly done at that level. Action is is a something that is individuals take action. Companies do not take action. So that is then when you when you then start moving down the stack and those decisions then need to be turned into actions that are atomic and that individuals take somehow. 
the way I think of actions, it's almost like the, well, one of them would be shipping, right? You're shipping value all the mm -hmm. time, which it's almost like at the end of taking that action, unless whatever value you have built, you're getting it out there so that people can use it, customers yep. and users can use it, your action is not complete. Yes. The more you can act, the quicker you can act, the better off you are. Yes. But it's not just the action part, it's the loop as a whole has to be complete. Yes. Because it's not sufficient to act. But there's something really important, which I took away from your course, which was don't start with the observation, start with the action. Why is that? So when you, when you dig into it, bearing in mind that Boyd passed away in 1997 and you know he was most active during sort of the 80s and 90s, I guess. And you consider how far science and, and understanding of cognition and complex systems has moved on since then. It still absolutely astonishes me that the OODA loop maps so well onto all of this emergent research. So the reason I say we should start with action is because that's how cognition works, right? You know, you and I are sitting here and we are seeing each other because we're looking at a screen. We're, we're seeing the diagrams that I've written, you know, with feeling sensations as we as we sit on chairs and whatnot and all of those sensations need action in order to work so we don't see anything pro properly unless we're moving our eyes slightly especially if that thing is moving and those actions are unconscious but they are almost required to kick off the, the process of cognition right so if you're if you're sat in an environment and you're sat absolutely still and you're not allowed to touch anything and you're not allowed to look at anything well you can't learn anything about that environment you have to take action in order to kind of set off the ripples that you then start to detect in the in the rest of in the rest of the OODA loop. And you know, as the the, the diagram that's your favorite of, of the ones that I've drawn, action sets an expectation. That's where you start to see where this kind of intermingling of, of all the different parts of the OODA loop and the fact that it's not just a, a circle through observe, orient, decide, act, because action itself, the process of even taking an action creates changes in your orientation, which then shape your observation. And then by the time you observe the, the outcomes of your action, what you observe is different based on your expectation. So we, we just cannot avoid being entangled with our environment in that way. So to those that are listening to this and just listening to this, something's missing, right? You feel like, where's this diagram? What are you talking about? <laughs> So unless we publish the diagram, and unless you look at the show notes, unless we someone drew the diagram, you couldn't really imagine what we're talking about. I mean, you could, but it'd be an imperfect image of what Ben means or what Ben refers to. So of course, we've shared the diagram, so look at the show notes if you want to see it. But more importantly, it proves a point in that mm. if you can't see it, is it real? Yeah. Does it even it. exist? I mean... Maybe yeah, we're I, talking about an imaginary diagram, which we're not, by the way. <laughs> it's real and it's very good. Yeah. And actually, Boyd's Uda diagram, from my understanding, he was kind of pushed to draw this. Like someone said, look, look you need to draw this. You need to write it, write it down. So Boyd transmitted most of his learning through a, an enormous six-hour lecture that he used to go and give to generals, right? And that encompassed the history of you know, military doctrine. It encompassed a load of science. You know, he was big into physics and, you know, understood Heisenberg's uncertainty principle and Godel's incompleteness theorem and uh, the second law of thermodynamics. Those are the three pillars of, of his OODA loop. And when he was asked to draw this stuff, you know, bearing in mind, this was the mid nineties, 
the diagram that he came up with is constrained by the medium with which he could transmit it back then. So that's one of the benefits that we have now of Figma and uh, SVG and, and, you know, better mechanisms for drawing things. And, you know, I'm, as I've mentioned uh, before we started, I'm, I'm playing around with some, um, some 3JS so I can really properly dig into how, how these interactions work. So, you know, in some ways, even, even the original diagram that he drew was an abstraction. It was a, an incomplete picture of, of everything that he was talking about. Like you read into many other people that have studied Boyd and you get a far more nuanced and complete picture than you ever will just looking at his diagram. I think that's super powerful and I'll take it one step further. So first of all, you have like this static thing stuck in the 1950s, the best it could be for the time given the constraints. Then we have your diagram, Ben, which really is a work of art. You have to see it. It's, it's amazing. It's really like, there's so much information there. It's almost like you need to read the background to understand some of the relationships um, yeah. and the shapes and the lines and the, it's just amazing. But there's the visual element as well, which it doesn't have, it's static. Yeah. What about the motion, the, the time? Now, let's take that a little bit further. This is me dreaming, okay? Mm -hmm five years from now, 10 years from now, may never happen. What if you could see these loops happening in an org and the actions being mapped to these things? So you can almost have an appreciation of how the different parts of an org interacts. Yeah. So imagine whatever happens in your org being represented in these diagrams, all the commits, all the code going out, yes. all the bugs coming in, all the money going out and coming in. If you could visualize that, what would that mean for your business? Yeah. Just imagining that, oh, wow. Yeah. I would love to be part of that one day. I think it would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing, right? If you, if you look at the business through this, through this lens of abstraction that we're talking about, you, you have the opportunity to build something like that, right? Because you can express those abstractions. I mean, I've given presentations about how similar the OODA loop is to things like event sourcing because observations are events, right? They are concrete things that have happened. We put subjective filters on those things, but they are concrete things that have happened in the environment. Likewise, the left fold over the, the events that create state in event sourcing systems is an orientation of a form, right? It's how do we take, how do we integrate the observations or events that we've seen in our environment and how do we integrate them with the state or internal orientation that we have and turn them into a change in that orientation, a change in that state. And then, you know, the, the decision and action side of things is, is the, the command side of, of event sourcing. So I actually think that with the rise of event-driven architectures, and, you know, you mentioned Kubernetes in, in, in the chat before this, all of the data flowing through the systems that we have now, it is actually within the bounds of possibility that we could have a real-time 3D time-based picture of the internal workings of our OODA loop. And I agree with you that I think that that would be incredibly powerful. Mm. Statements of facts, things that have happened with certain properties and finding deriving relationships from those properties and visualizing them in a compressed format. That's what an OODA loop is. You zoom in, you zoom out. You have a high level, you can dig into specific things, even individual events if you want to. Yep. And I think we're getting there. I think the building blocks, I can almost start seeing them um, shaping. 
Yeah. I think Concourse was the first CI system, continuous integration system, that put the pipeline at the front. You just threw some YAML at it, mm-hmm. and it would produce this nice pipeline that you could make it so big that it would crash the system, but it was infinitely scalable. And we have seen this, for example, in GitHub Actions, yep. Argo CD with the workflows. I think it's thinking it really well, where you start thinking about visualizing pipelines, and it's not just CI CD. It's not just running your tests, your builds. It's not just pushing code out there. It can be used for so many more things. Yeah. And I think the concept is really powerful. And then you have your Unix tools, right? It's all based in the pipes. Yep. Combine them and the relationship between the different, uh, not just the individual blocks, but also imagine the links. They don't have to be straight. They don't have to be solid. You know, you can change the shape of them. You can make them thicker, thinner, whatever. And I think a little bit of this, which is what gets me excited, is that we have seen this for years, actually decades now that I think of it, in the Erlang VM. Mm. All the message passing, all the interactions between the different components, the trees of the processes, the applications, everything. The crashes, when something would crash, you could visualize that in the observer yep. when different applications would go down. You love functional programming. Well, yeah. I love Erlang. Um, I haven't tried Haskell. I should check it out for sure. But um, I can see the intersection of all these things. And isn't it nice to explore and experiment? Yeah. What is, what should work be? Ben, what do you think that work is at a very low level, at a very basic level? That's a great, great question. And, you know, just just to build on your point earlier about Erlang, right? We, we look at this from a technology and a developer-centric kind of viewpoint of of pushing code out and shipping. And, and that's the decision and action part of an organization's OODA loop. But, you know, there's a whole load of people who also look at the, the inward sense-making situational awareness part of that loop, which operates in exactly the same way, right? That's people that look at marketing and attribution and data and, and understanding the effect that the organization is having on the environment in some, in some way. So, as much as our CI and CD reflects how we think about shipping code, you can use exactly the same abstractions to think about sensing the organization's effect on the environment as well. And what work, what work should be is that system understood as a cohesive system. So, you know, as a developer, you shouldn't be constrained to thinking that you're done when you ship. You should have a a visceral embodied understanding of what happens to that piece of code. What, what difference does it make to your customers? What ripples do you sense in the environment once that piece of, once that feature or that change lands? You know, how does that make you better at deciding what to build next? And that, I mean, that's the OODA loop. That is pure OODA. And having, having the integration of those different understandings at different levels is exactly why I think OODA is such an important concept because, you know, to go back to your original point about complexity, the more complex an environment gets, the more important you need to have this internal, intangible ability to operate and ability to sense your environment. Because, you know, the further you get away from that, the more vulnerable you are to the people that do or the companies that do build that ability. That's right. The comprehensive understanding feeling that what you do matters and standing, where does it fit what you do? Experimenting, 
you're not working, you're experimenting, you're trying to figure out with what you do works. Yeah. And a very, very small slice of that is shipping. But it's, I wouldn't even say, I, it's not even the tip of the iceberg. No. I don't know what to compare it to, but it's so small, so tiny. And this is something which I'm very passionate about. Like, even though we call this ship it, it's insignificant in the big scheme of things. And my mission is to make you understand, listeners, how small and insignificant it is. Essential and important, but it's such a small piece. And don't think like, if you ship, you're done. No, no, no. It's not even the beginning. I really like your diagram. This is another one about perception, the ripple effect. And it applies so well to this because it's really difficult to understand and to map your action to something that someone else does, like your end users do. Yeah. You have a better way of explaining this. Maybe we'll put that diagram as well. I mean, you know what? Maybe it'll be at this point be just easier to join the course, right? I think it'll be easier <laughs> because there's yeah. so many other things and I'm just like picking and selecting, but it's so compressed. It, it just makes sense as a whole. And the conversations, I think they're the most valuable ones. So if you think this is good, well, you should see some of the conversations part of the course, which were my favorite part of it. The diagrams as well, but the conversations, I mean, unique you, and you cannot recreate that because it just happens based on the people that are there and how they feel. Yeah. Some were tired like me. <laughs> Others switched on like Ben, but you know, <laughs> it was a good mix. It's a very intangible thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a question of, you know, we've got a bunch of, a bunch of individuals, a bunch of people there with their own energy and their own experiences of that day. And that creates an intangible, you know, we, we compose those people together in a group and then we have a discussion and that creates an intangible kind of understanding of the concepts that we're talking about that lives within that group. And then, you know, that group goes away and talks to other groups and it spreads or doesn't. And, you know, different people bring their different perspectives. I mean, the most valuable thing to me of exploring all this stuff is what I learn from people who have a different understanding or a different depth or, or, you know, different perspective. And I've got, you know, probably about six hours worth of YouTube conversation that I've either been part of or, or joined that has built into this kind of understanding. And, you know, this conversation has opened up a few more things like, you know, the Erlang VM, I hadn't considered that one before. Mm. So yeah, it's great. I mean, it's just, you just have to dive in and explore. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Cockroach Labs, the makers of CockroachDB, the most highly evolved database on the planet. With CockroachDB, you can scale fast, survive anything, and thrive everywhere. It's open source, Postgres wire compatible, and Kubernetes friendly, which means you can launch and run it anywhere. For those who need more, you can build and scale fast with Cockroach Cloud, which is CockroachDB hosted as a service. It's the simplest way to deploy CockroachDB and is available instantly on AWS and Google Cloud. With Cockroach Cloud, a team of world-class SREs maintains and manages your database infrastructure so you can focus less on ops and more on code. Get started for free with a 30-day free trial or try their new forever free tier that's super generous. Head to cockroachlabs.com slash changelog to learn more. Again, cockroachlabs.com slash changelog. Talking about diving in and exploring, we are going to talk about 
the recommendations that uh, Ben has around the books, the videos, basically all the follow-up material that you may want to look into that goes really well with this conversation. So we can start books or YouTube videos, wherever you want, Ben, take it away. Cool. Well, let's go with books first. So um, one book that's I'm overdue a reread on, actually, which is really the book that started well, it didn't start me on the journey, but it really made some links fall into place with me. For me, was um, "Team of Teams" by General Stanley McChrystal. That is just a an incredible, nuanced overview of what an organisation has to do when its environment is moving faster than it's capable of dealing with. And I can see that your heart has a has a copy. Had to. Yeah, it's a great book. And the follow up one, so "Team of Teams" is like the conceptual why this is important. It's about the dynamics. And then the follow-up one mission is a bit more about the specifics. So that those two are very good. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink is a must-read as well. The fundamental principles approach I agree with. I'm, I'm not sure I completely agree with the principles that they picked out as the most important. Turn the Ship Around is also very good on servant leadership and, and mission command. Although you know none of these books mention the, the concepts that I talk about by, by their kind of conceptual names. They, they have their own models and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Red team thinking, you know, the, the whole point of the course is that leadership is as much of a system as it is a skill. And red team thinking is a fantastic set of tools for doing the strategic leadership system, right? It's a bunch of communication protocols and practices that mean that you get this better situational awareness at the strategic level. And then, you know, I've got a whole, a whole bunch of books that we probably don't have time to dig into here about cognition. And uh, I will went, mention one that I read recently. Um, a Thousand Brains by Jeff Hawkins, which is about the mechanics of cognition from his research at Nementa. That's an amazing book that will change the way you think about not only what goes, in, goes on inside your ears, but how the concept can apply to businesses as well. Mm-hmm. And there's another book which I would like to mention. Uh, it's by Ben Ford, which is The Ooda Loop, according <laughs> to Ben Ford. That will be a self-published book, I'm sure. Maybe Gumroad. I'm really yeah. looking forward to that which will be uh, the print version of the course, maybe. Oh, yeah, someday. 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 It might might be a live online 3D diagram illustrated version of the course, perhaps. But yes, I I definitely have something Mm. like that in me at some point. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, In the meantime, I'm going to read all the other books. That's my plan. That's what I intend to do, talking about turning the ship around. Um, And uh, which is, by the way, a great book. I read it um, I can definitely recommend it as well. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, uh, if you're not into books, Ben has some amazing YouTube videos. So if you think this is good, uh, which, which it is, again, let's be honest, uh, some of the videos that Ben has uh, are really good. You have also a show, the Uda Loopers or the Uda something. Can you tell us more about that? So one of the things that's come out of this exploration for me is meeting, you know, other, other people that are interested in, in the Uda loop across, you know, a variety of different fields, including, you know, serving police officers and firefighters and, and whatnot. And the way we've been interacting has, you know, luckily for everyone been in the form of videos. So, you know, conversations like this between two and seven people, I think, bringing people in with different perspectives and trying to integrate those perspectives and those experiences, many within the tech industry, to attain a deeper understanding of, of the OODA loop, because it's the concepts that are really important. It's not what you call it. It's not how you draw the diagram. It's, it's the understanding that you extract from it and the kind of compression that you learn 
in order to apply the ideas. So I've been collecting some of the best resources that I've found and conversations that I've taken part in into a into a YouTube playlist, which is probably about eight hours worth of video by now. Mm-hmm. Because you know, at the end of the day, no matter how no matter how much you listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about about any subject, you still have to dive in yourself. You still have to make your own mental links. You still have to build your own understanding, build your own mental models, try things out, break things, put them back together again. And there's really no better way to do that than this format that we're having here and, and, and conversation. And, and that's what I've been doing quite a lot of lately. So if someone was to start doing, implementing all the learnings, all the principles, where would they start or how would they start? I think how would they actually start? The step number one. Step number two. I mean, that's going to be very, very contextual compared to where you are, right? Let's take a few hypotheticals and thought experiments, maybe. So if you're in a startup that's grown rapidly and is now lacking structure that you would need in order to scale, which you know happens all the time, especially nowadays, as it's possible to you know finance a business and grow it so much more quickly. You know, very often those businesses, they and this is a mistake I think many tech businesses make. They look at the world through a DevOps lens or you know, they, they look at lean and, and all these things. And actually, when you take a step back, those businesses, the, the ability to build and ship code is very rarely the problem anymore, right? You know, the tools and the, and the infrastructure that you have available to do that now, you, know, you could build a, a beginnings of a company in a weekend because you can use things like Vercel and GraphQL and Hasura. You've got zero ops. You know, zero requirement for, for any ops. It's just literally build code and ship, build code and ship. So the problem that we have now is that those companies grow to a certain size and then the internal communications protocols and structures don't keep up. So that's where I would urge people to start looking now is to, you know, take some of the resources that, that I've shared, you know, have a look at the YouTube videos, you know, take my course and understand that, you know, in, in a world of complexity, it's the whole system that you need to consider rather than thinking that you need to fix this little bit that you think is broken like it. If you fix that bit, you'll have a knock-on effect of something else that needs to be fixed. And you need to get and keep ahead of that in order to survive in this kind of exponential environment that we're in. That's something which um, I wouldn't say I was disappointed, but it was like a, like an eye-opening moment. There's no silver bullet here. Mm-mm. There's no set of things that you can take, apply as they are presented, and you'll be successful. That's not how this works. You need to understand the principles. You need to try a few things out to see what sticks and what doesn't. And iterate from there. It's a refinement, a continuous refinement process. And there's no book that can do that for you. No course, nothing. It's you. It starts with you. So step one, become aware of these things. Step two, maybe accept that you may want to start applying some of these things, see what stands out. And... Step number three, start doing it yeah, and go through it really, really quickly, because guess what? You have to go through these steps over and over again, almost like an OODA loop, not once a day, many times per hour, yep. or maybe even more often. There's no, there's no time period, which is right or wrong for an OODA loop, by the way. No, uh, absolutely not. Um, because, you know, even if, even if you do, do build this kind of internal fluency of communications, well, you're changing, your environment's changing, you know, you're, you're adding new people, they're coming in with their own ideas, people leave, the system changes. Like, you know, even um, in the Second World War, when the, the Germans came up with the Blitzkrieg concept and they rolled over Europe, 
well, guess what? At the time, the UK was building the special operations executive and they built small, compact teams that could go and do exactly the same thing to the German war machine. And that's what they did. So it's this constant, constant cycle and constant process of optimization is not the right word because that implies efficiency, but it's this constant optimizing your effectiveness for the environment. You know, even if you employ somebody who has done something very similar to what you're doing in your company right now, and you ask them, what should you do? Their information will be out of date. It will refer to a world that doesn't exist. So you just have to build these structures yourself. There's no way around it. In other words, don't hire the expert. It's a lie. It's contextual, right? The expertise is contextual. And unless that expert is willing and open-minded to change his perception and to learn with you, it's for nothing, all that expertise. You can't transplant ideas, right? You can't take guilds or squads or whatever you want to call them and make them work in your company as they are. That doesn't happen. And that's not how it works. And whoever tells you that's how it works, I would take it with a grain of salt or two or three. And not give them any money. (laughs) Exactly, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Um, You know, expertise is still important because... You know, it's it's like the process of evolution, right? Evolution only works when there's some genetic material to pull apart and put back together. And you know, in the knowledge economy, that that genetic material is expertise. But the thing that we forget is that expertise is contextual, as you said, and it's the pulling apart and putting it back together that's the most important thing. And if you just try and blindly apply stuff that worked, I mean, this was true ten years ago, but it's even more true and even more critical now to understand. You try and apply blindly apply stuff that worked before, you know, it won't work as well as you hoped and you won't have any clue. Whereas if you build the capabilities and the communications and the decision-making processes and all that stuff that does allow you to sense your environment, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter because you'll be able to adapt and overcome. Ben, this was a pleasure, a genuine pleasure. Um, I'm seeing this as the beginning of something. I'm seeing this as a loop that will continue. I'm thinking six months from now, I would love to catch up again on the same show, maybe, and um, see where we are then. See what we have learned, see what we have taken apart, what we have put together, and most importantly, what we have shipped. Because I know you have something really special in the pipeline. I will not, actually, we should not tell the listeners what it is. You should follow the journey closely if you're really curious. And if you're not, that's okay. It's not a problem. But I'm really looking forward to speaking to you again in six months, roughly. It's just a guideline. Thank you, Ben. This was great. Anytime. It's been, it's been great. I mean, it's, it's great to have you on the course. It's, it's great to, you know, essentially share, share this journey of, of understanding with you. And, and, you know, this conversation has been fantastic and eye-opening and yeah, definitely up for doing another one. Thank you, Ben. Have a nice evening, a nice day, morning, whatever it may be. And um, keep iterating. Keep looping. Get better. See you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. That's it for this episode of Ship It. Thank you for tuning in. We have a bunch of podcasts for developers at Changelog that you should check out. Subscribe to the master feed at changelog.com forward slash master to get everything we ship. I want to personally invite you to join your fellow Changeloggers at changelog.com forward slash community. It's free to join and stay. Leading, on the other hand, will cost you some happiness credits. Come hang with us in Slack. There are no imposters. Everyone is welcome. Huge thanks again to our partners, Fastly, LaunchDarkly, and Minode. 
Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all our awesome beats. That's it for this week. See you next week. Thank you.